right, everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, Clayton. Hello, Erin. How's it going? Good. I'm excited to talk about this book. I am very excited to talk about this book, too, because I have no sense of what your thoughts and feelings might be. So, Is this the first time you've read this? Yes. Okay. We're both sugar daddy virgins. Yeah. We're both like Clay Pass contemporary virgins. I never read any of her contemporaries. That's why when everybody gives me guff about still being a virgin, there's still more cherries to, to be uh, popped. <laughs> there's always more cherries to pop. And that's really important as we go through this life. I threw a uh in the middle of that because I wasn't sure if I was going to go through with it, and then I decided to. <laughs> and you know what? I agree, I regret it a little bit. It is gross. It's a gross visual. You know. It's even grosser when I say it, I think. <laughs> I think that could be the consensus. Um, but before we plow into this book... Um, <laughs> <laughs> now who's being gross? I didn't, as I was saying it. But uh, let's talk first about our Patreon. So we have a bunch of lovely patrons, you guys, who have signed up for us over there. We have a lot of fun things planned. Um, so we want to give quick little shout outs to basically everybody who's joined pretty much fr- from like the first week in December, which I think was the last time that we recorded. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start. So first we have Amy Drouch. Thank you, Amy. And uh, Ju- Julie Seifert, thank you so much. And then uh, Michelle Cavalier. A Cavalier was my first car. Very exciting. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Michelle. Cap Morrow, thank you so much. And then Alice Shu. And uh, thank you, Alice. And then Kelly Metzger. Uh, and then finally, Emily Balul. Balul. Yes, and again, like we always say, part of the shout-out is you get a redo if we mess up. Yes, if we mispronounce your name, it's on us, and if you tell us how to pronounce it, we will always shout you out again. Well, I've got a name that I have figured out how to say correctly. Lisa, (laughs) Claypus, because we used to say Claypass, and it is Claypus. Mm-hmm. So this week we read Sugar Daddy by Lisa Claypus, which is her, uh, we got a ton of recommendations on the troupe. It seemed like you guys came together to force us to read um, Claypus uh, Contemporary. And so this is the first book in her Travis series. I'm happy we started with the first in the series. Um, yes. And so before we get going, uh, let's judge these covers. So there's two covers. Mm-hmm. So the first is the original cover, which is Lisa Claypas, Sugar Daddy, in big, big letters. You could tell Lisa Claypas was a name at this stage because they are using her name to sell this book, as they should. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And it's hot pink and a bright, bright yellow. And then we see a silhouette of three people, uh, two men and a woman. Um, The men wearing cowboy hats. So we know this is probably Texas. And I like that cover. I really don't like that color scheme. Right. Okay. I am not a fan of this cover. It, 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 this of all, this, this book cover makes me think it would be in an airport newsstand. 
and I would just skip over it if I didn't know who Lisa was. Like those kind of mass market paperbacks that you see everywhere, like even at the grocery store where you're like, I don't, whatever, I'm not going to read this. Yeah, that's where romances are soul clean, basically. Yeah, but the airport at the grocery store. Yeah, but but the romances have the I mean, they have the the clinch covers. They have Mm -hmm. people on the front like, you know what I mean? This is not a romance cover to me. It doesn't feel romance enough for me now as a person to pick Mm -hmm. this out. And say, oh, this could be interesting. Plus, the only reason we're reading a book called Sugar Daddy is because it's Lisa Kleypas. I would not read a book about sugar daddies otherwise. I do think, okay. And then let's talk about the other cover. And then I think let's chat a little bit about the title. So the other cover is a woman a young woman with like long dark hair on a swing and she's like up at the highest point of the swing. And then you see it's like a pastoral uh, backdrop with like graphs and stuff. And then it says sugar daddy and script. And then Lisa clay pass in the same color as her sweater. I absolutely hate that this book Mm -hmm. is named sugar daddy. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't like this cover either. This Mm -hmm. is giving me Lolita vibes. It's gross. And I think it's like at least the first cover, it's like those all look like adult silhouettes. And so I'm like, okay, adults are are able to do things children are not. Something about the second cover where it's like, I don't know, sw- obviously grownups could swing on a swing, but it's like a very childlike thing to do. And then calling it Sugar Daddy is so fucking creepy and mm-hmm. gross. And I would just pro- like if I ever saw that cover in that title, I'd be like, this is this is like some weird, like, um, I don't know, shit that I don't want to read about. And obviously it's not that. The book is very, it's not, like, the book is also not about a sugar daddy in any sort of way. So I, I also just don't understand why that was the title. Because I, if if it wasn't that everyone in the troupe was so emphatic about, like, how great this book was and how much they loved it. I would have, it would have never occurred to me to read this book because like, listen, I'm okay with how adults act and obviously decriminalize sex work and all that stuff. But like, it's not something I'm interested in. It's not a dynamic that I want explored necessarily. And I have, I have friends who have like entered into relationships like this and it is what it is, but it's just like. Really like who? Like name names. <laughs> you always want to name names. One day it'll work. One day you'll do it. You'll just yeah. forget. Like, it's you're not being recorded and you'll say their names. And what then? I don't know. It was also all in my 20s. I'll, like, I don't think it's anyone I'll cross know. that bridge when I get to it. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it also, hasn't I mean, happened yet. <laughs> uh, and I think those relationships are, are also really set up or can really be set up for abuse and exploitation in, in ways that I think are upsetting. Anyway, the first cover is fine. The second cover is pretty gross. And I don't understand. I don't understand the title. What are your feelings? Well, there is a sugar daddy in this book in a way. Not, but I don't think the connotation is the way sugar daddy actually is used. Churchill, Travis, who's the father of Gage. I mean, we're giving away a big spoiler here right at the beginning. Right. Knew Liberty's mother, was in love with Liberty's mother, but they never 
did anything about it physically, but he took care of her and gave her money. So in a way, he was more of a benefactor than a sugar daddy, although I think if times would have, you know, if him being single and her being single lined up, maybe something would have happened, but we don't know. But that's the only close thing to a sugar daddy that is in this book. Right. Well, no, I but think it's, sugar daddy he's, implies he's, a sexual relationship, too. Well, that's what I was saying. That's what I yeah. mean. It's like that that is the element that's missing. And then Gage is truly in love with Liberty and he's not that much older than her that it would be a sugar daddy relationship. That's just not how that setup works. Where a sugar daddy relationship, if it's if I understand it uh, correctly, is I am sexual. I'm going to sexually satisfy you if you pay for all my shit. And usually, it's a much much older person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily, but but yeah, but I do think that there's like sort of an arrangement set up and it's not based necessarily on like an actual relationship where like Gage and Liberty were just in a relationship and he was much more wealthy than her and therefore paid for things. I I think that's different. But But when I think of daddy, I think of somebody that is older, like when when there's a relationship that is a daddy relationship, it is a older man, younger woman. Totally. Yeah. Um, but okay, well, let's jump into then what this book was about, since we're already kind of talking about it. Liberty Jones is a young woman in the South. She's uh, her mom is a single mother because her father, Liberty's father, died on an oil rig, mm-hmm. not working on it. He was a business guy, and he just fell and slipped and fell and died. So they're living in a trailer. Liberty meets Hardy, who becomes her first love. Hardy is 17 and she's 14. And he says, we can't do anything because it'd be inappropriate because I don't want to stay in this small town. I need to leave. So he ends up leaving. The mom dies and had had a daughter Carrington and Liberty basically takes Carrington as her daughter. I mean, they're, they're still sisters, but she takes care of her. Liberty later gets an opportunity to work for Churchill Travis, who's this really rich guy and Gage is her, is his son who thinks that it is a sugar daddy relationship, but then it, it isn't. And they fall in love, Gage and Liberty, and then Hardy comes back, and it is, who does she choose? What did you think? What are your thoughts? I really like this book. I get the criticism, and not even maybe a criticism, but the fact that it is more of a just straight ahead, you know, people want to say chiclet. I'm not going to use that term, although I just said it. It, it's it's what is it's woman's women's fiction people would say also not what you would want to use it's just a novel mm-hmm. to me and i really enjoyed it but you know the thing i enjoyed a, a lot more than i expected is just the early 
parts of this book talking about Liberty's mom and Flip and the all that bullshit she had to deal with with like bad men and like the story of how Flip brought the shot the emu and brought it home to like cook it like those kind of things were so interesting and fun for me just to just to live in that world a little bit I mm-hmm. thought was really interesting I was less interested once she moved in with Churchill although I did really like I like Churchill as a person I didn't necessarily I'm not in love with that archetype Mm-hmm. of the like harsh businessman who you can barely talk to but then this woman talks to him and he lightens up it's like hey maybe just treat everybody with respect i mean yeah. is that possible but he was a sweetheart and i was not sold on gage originally especially because he's like you need to get the fuck out of my house or you need to get the fuck out of my dad's house or i will make you leave but i did you know what? I, I liked it. I was invested in the triangle. And I did not know until the end who she was going to pick. Yeah. Do you think she made so, the right choice? Well, before before we get to that, I'm very curious what your opinion will be. I what did really, you think of this book? Yeah, I, lo- I really liked this book a lot, too. I do think, you know, I was thinking, like, had we not known, because we were warned by people on the troop as well that, like, it is pretty much women's fiction, and you don't meet the hero until 60% in. So I think had I gone into this not knowing that, I, I, I wonder if I would have been a little bit more frustrated with the book, or if I would have just assumed it was Hardy. And then mm-hmm. been confused when it wasn't. Um, but I think because I knew that going in, I could really like relax into it. And I think obviously Lisa Claypat's like, it's been said before. We'll keep saying it. I, like we think she is one of the best authors going today. Uh, she it pro- This kind of proves she could write anything and I would definitely read it. I'm very invested. The next book is actually Hardy's book. So I am going to want to read that one too. And um I loved I loved it. I thought it was really well done. And it also is very interesting because I think, you know, as romance has really exploded and it seems like a lot of authors who maybe a lot of first time authors who maybe aren't as in rent in, like entrenched in the genre start writing romance. A lot of times they accidentally come out as like women's fiction just because they don't understand the beats or like how to make, write an engaging romance. It's very hard. I'm not gonna pretend it's not hard. But I think what Lisa Claypest does here that is so interesting is like she really, it's a it's a life story and it's showing like different kinds of love or how do you become the person so that then when you are presented with the person that you should be with, you are able to show up for that person. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think a lot of times we, you know, I think if this was more traditional romance, it probably would have started with her and Churchill meeting at the salon or maybe her moving in with Churchill. And then it would be like a back and forth with Gage and Hardy. And we would kind of just like hear little snippets, but I do think you gain so much more in this book being so intimately acquainted with Liberty through her entire life and sort of how she's acted. Um, I totally agree with that because there's a big segment in the middle of this book 
where it's really, like you said, just her life, just what happens to her after her mom dies and after Hardy leaves. And then she does meet Gage, what you said, 60% of the book. And then Hardy doesn't even come back until like, what, 80%? Yeah. He's, he's only in the last, I don't know how many pages because I read it on a Kindle, but, you know, probably like 60 pages or something at the end. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so true that you need that section of her growing up and making her own way. So then when Hardy comes back, you realize why A, she'd be drawn to him, but also B, why she would question whether she should be with him or not. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so powerful. And I think if someone else had written this book and it wasn't as well written, because I think truly, like like you said, we we say it a lot, and but I don't think it can be said enough, is that Kleypas is just a, a great writer full stop. Not romance, not genre, whatever. Right. She is just a very great writer. And so she's able to do this it felt a little bit like a flex to me in the sense of, okay, I'm going to do a contemporary, but I'm not going to just do a regular contemporary. I'm going to do something that straddles this this line. Mm-hmm. And I think she pulls it off. But if, the, like you said, if this was somebody else, I really would have been very frustrated with this book unless it was as well written as this. Right. Which, I, but I, yeah. That's I don't know I if that's possible. Exactly. I think it would be so hard to do. It's not like a knock on other writers, but I just think it's like what Lisa is able to do, how she's able to do these little slice of life things. I do also have to say, I loved the part at the beginning with the trailer park. And I do think with a less generous writer or with a less, um, just like, I don't know, we keep saying talented, but a lesser writer or person I think could have made that into like a level of like poverty and tragedy porn in a yes. way that I find really disgusting. And that is very common in culture. Um, as far as like the way that poor people are looked at and either they're like sort of these, like, I don't know, like ugh, don't get me started on how much I freaking hated nomad land, but like, that's like, aren't they, isn't it amazing? These people just want to like, live and have hopes and dreams like isn't that shocking even though they have nothing and are nothing and it's like fuck you (laughs) they're human beings and they were always treated like every everyone that she knew as a child and they all like you could tell that they were all growing up kind of in poverty or struggling but we're all three-dimensional characters we're not just victims of their circumstance we're we're just like human beings and like fully drawn and interesting and dynamic in a way that it's like, it's sad that that is something to be lauded because it, it feels like a very low bar, but she manages to do it. Like you never feel sorry for anyone that she grows up with. You know? That's so huge because you're right. There is a tendency now. And I don't know if it's always been this way, but it feels even more so at the moment. Mm-hmm. For when anything tries to cover lower income people, it feels like a nature documentary. Right. And not a look at other humans being human. It's look at this foreign 
world that you don't know about because you live in luxury. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not the way to look at people. People are people. It's a controversial statement right now, but people are people, <laughs> everyone. And you're right. She gives everybody dignity. Like even Flip is a total moron, but he's not looked at as, oh, look at this dumbass redneck. Right. Like, look who poor, poor single women are reduced to dating. Where it's kind of like, yeah, he wasn't necessarily a bad guy. He wasn't up to like their level, but like. I don't know. I was because also I feel like I've read so many of these stories where it's like somebody living in poverty and they're um, abused, which like obviously happens, but also abuse happens at every economic level. And it's very strange that it's like the stories are only told about poor people experiencing abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, ugh, I was like, I don't want him to like hurt Liberty or anything. And he never does. Like he does seem like a decent guy who's like just kind of um, lazy. <laughs> But not Mm -hmm. bad. Um, And I liked that, too, that it was like, you know, nope, there wasn't necessarily a a bad person, you know. Well, the I mean, the guy who who drives the uh, the car, like who owns the. What what is it that um, the trailer park? Owns a trailer park and her Liberty's mom gets involved with and end up kill, ends up killing her. I mean, accidentally in a car accident. But yeah. Accidentally. He's even he is somebody that Liberty finds to be disgusting. But Liberty's mom sees something in him and she begrudgingly is like, OK, well, my mom's with this guy. But even he isn't a cartoon villain. Right. He's just like. Yeah, he he's a guy that also feels like he really exists, you know. So I loved that now, part too. It didn't feel like exploitative or kind of, you know, it, in the way that I think a lot like if you didn't grow up in a trailer park or you didn't grow up experiencing poverty, you know, the way that or, I don't know like hillbilly elegy and stuff where it's like these aren't human beings that you're talking about. There there doesn't seem to be much moralizing happening right in this book which it was written in 2007 which makes sense where there isn't a judgment on these characters in a way that you would find now mm-hmm. and i find that super refreshing seeing as how every everything is such a morality test at this point and uh, like a good example. Okay, so I don't want to weigh too much into this because obviously this this conversation is being fired up a lot, especially with licorice pizza being out. But there is an age gap situation at the beginning of this book, right? Because you've got Liberty, who I said was like 14, and then Hardy, who is 17. Mm-hmm. Now they don't they do kiss at a point where she might be a little bit older. Mm-hmm. She might be 15 at that point and he's maybe 18. I just remember for myself being if I when I was 17 years old, I didn't even think that I didn't even think about 14-year-old people existing. Like right. a 14-year-old in my mind was still shitting their pants. <laughs> 
Well, I think by the, like, they meet, I think, and she's 14 and he's 17. I don't think they kiss or anything until, I think she's 16 and he's 19. See, they don't make that, they don't clarify that. I do think years have gone by. Okay. Hardy, I don't think, ever took advantage of her. No. I don't think that there's any thought about that. I, like, no. Yeah. But there's something about a 14-year-old that is just so young to me. Yes. And and I think this the reason this works in this book is because it is more of a fiction book than a true romance. So I do think that th- that worked for me, although I like I said, I still have, you know, especially and then you have that sugar daddy cover with the girl on the on the swing. I mean, still I I would be interested to hear why Lisa decided on the title. Maybe she was like, listen, I'm going to make a great book called Sugar Daddy because I'm a boss. <laughs> <laughs> and I could do literally whatever I want and you will read it. And you know what? She got yeah. us. And we will. And you'll love it. And we do. Yeah. I Yeah. I mean, I, the age, I, I think the age gap I didn't really pay that much attention to. I also like they didn't have sex when she was a teenager at all. Like anyone mm-hmm. that she dated was also like her age, you know. So I don't. I mean, that's all fine. And also, like, I think Gage is, like, if she's 24, Gage is in his, like, late 20s. Like, I think they are also, like, similar in age as well. But, yeah, her growing up, her relationship, and I also found her relationship with her mother so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Because, you know, her mother seems to have been, like, pretty young. We find out later that her mother was raised wealthy. And then instead of marrying Churchill, who was the person that her family wanted her to marry, she married this other guy. I don't think we ever find out what her what Liberty's father's like name is anyway, marries him. And because he's kind of like from the wrong side of the tracks and he's Mexican, the family is up because Liberty's mother is white. You know, they're not excited about it and they kind of disown her. And so she marries for love. And, um, and then when he dies, she's kind of on her own. And Mm. I think it creates an interesting dynamic. And I just found the dynamic also really interesting. Like once, Liberty's mother, Diana, was pregnant with Carrington, how much ownership Liberty felt over Carrington, like, from the jump. Like, Mm -hmm. she was taking care of Carrington. She was um, up all night with her and feeding her and dressing her and going to doctor's appointments in a way that was inappropriate. Like, I think it can happen a lot of times with oldest daughters that they kind of take on, like, a secondary mother for their younger siblings. But I think in this instance, like she was basically the primary mother and it bummed me out. Like it's something that definitely like happens, but it, it wasn't fair. And it felt like obviously once Liberty's mother passed away, Liberty, you know, became Carrington's uh, guardian, which is what should have happened. But it seemed like she didn't get a childhood from, whenever Carrington was born, which was when I think she was like 15 or 16 or maybe 17. Um, Mm -hmm. But way too young anyway. And I thought it was really interesting. And then something else that I loved was the relationship then with Miss Marva, who was just their neighbor and friend, who was a good friend to Liberty's mother and also a good friend to Liberty. And how Miss Marva was able to translate sort of 
to liberty some of the things that her mother had done and why. And I feel like that's a relationship that a lot of people have. You have like your mother's friends who are able to kind of give you insight into your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have never really seen that represented either, like how important that relationship is. So I really loved that part too. It's important that Liberty got to see her mom as a person mm-hmm. through Miss Marva. Because like you said, you 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 some people have that relationship in their life, but some people don't. And so they're always just looking at their parents as these puzzles to figure out. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that was really refreshing, too. But can we agree, though, that Carrington, who is Liberty's sister, but basically her daughter at this point, is going to grow up to be an asshole? Uh Uh-huh. She was already an asshole, and now she's going to be – no offense, because she's going to be a horse girl like you. Yeah, love horse girls. Which I'm not going to say – listen, not all horse girls have money, but now her mom owns a ranch, or her sister owns a ranch, and she is going to be just the biggest asshole. (laughs) Because she's going to completely forget about where she came from. I agree. Yeah, Carrington. You, know, you gotta I mean, take I her think, back to the trailer park so she don't forget. I think yeah, kids, kids, and kids in these stories are hard because I think it's hard to like write for whatever age they are, and sometimes they have to be like too precocious, which is always fush, like annoying. And I thought Carrington was like pretty good the whole way through, but yeah. Did you think because like it's there's hints dropped throughout the book that something is going on. With Liberty's mom, like she goes away for a night or something and then she comes back and she has money. So obviously I'm like, that is, she has a sugar daddy. And then after she passes away, there was like a limo at the funeral and, Mm -hmm. and then like things happen for, uh, Liberty. Like she, there's no scholarships available to this, the cosmetology school she wants to go to, but then there are, I thought that Churchill was Carrington's father. Well, Did you, when it, like what were what was your read on that? I had I didn't even think about it until Hardy mentions it, and then I thought <laughs> that's so yeah, late. <laughs> I know, but I didn't even think about it, and I was like, yeah, that's got to be it. And then it wasn't obviously because I think that was the thing is that you were supposed to put that together. Then Hardy says it. While everybody reading it already is like, oh, I already thought this. And then when it gets debunked, then you're like, oh, okay, so I was wrong. But it was brought up by Hardy for me, and I thought, oh, wow, that's got to be it. And then, like, ten pages later, it's like, oh, that's not the case. (laughs) Well, I knew that one of um, Churchill's sons was supposed to be the love interest. I'm like, there's no way that he's Liberty's father. But, yeah, I thought that he could have been... Um, well, been yeah, I had I had that thought for a second when the conversation happens mm-hmm. that I was like, yeah, but then that wouldn't make sense because he wouldn't want his daughter to be with one of his sons. Right. And also Liberty is like very clearly like like half Mexican or like like looks Mexican. So I think there's also yes. that where it's like so her she, father is. Yeah. Yeah. There are there are slurs thrown at her mm-hmm. early in this book. 
And I mean, there's there's a little touching upon how it is to be somebody who is part Mexican and part white. It doesn't get uh, a real deep. I don't think Lisa goes deep into it. And also because I don't I don't know. I, I don't believe Lisa is has Mexican heritage at all. I have no idea. I can't speak um, yeah. to it. Maybe I don't know. But I, I, she, I don't think it's one of those things where it's – that's not the crux of the book. It's just an element of it. This book is told in first person by Liberty. So we never mm-hmm. get insight into what Gage is thinking or what Hardy is thinking other than, like, what they say. So so what were your feelings on, like, Gage and that – the relationship that they had? I was surprised that I ended up liking Gage. Yeah. Because, I mean, number one, he was born rich, basically. Uh-huh. But also, he was an asshole to her immediately. I mean, he threatened, he said, get out of my house, get out of my dad's house, grabs her arm, is forcible with her. And I was like, this guy's just an over-the-top asshole. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they started, of course, you have the trope, which is he gets sick and she nor- nurses him back to health, which is always great. We love that trope. We see his tender side helping his dad because Churchill gets in a, 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 a has a, a hor- what is it, a horseback riding accident, right? Yeah. And breaks his leg and has to be helped with everything and, and Gage is really nice helping him and I ended up really liking Gage when I did not think that I would and also he's he's a like a he was a great lover with Liberty he knew he kind of knew what she needed yes the the steamy parts were steamy and I think the thing that's great too is like there's so much bad sex in this book like Liberty has a lot of bad sex with different guys yes Um, and I thought it was so interesting that then the difference when she has good sex. I honestly, I was never sold on Gage. I don't know that I'm still sold on Gage. I think the 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 thing that's hard is that we do only meet him 60% into the book. And therefore, there's just like not a lot of time with him. Mm-hmm. And I just thought the switch from him being like not liking her, wanting her out of the house, which is like. Listen, I get it, too. Like, if you are taking care of your wealthy father and then all of a sudden this, like, young woman is randomly there, you're like, what the fuck are you doing here? Um, Could have gone about it in a better way, probably, but either way. Um, <clears throat> it did seem like the switch was very quick from him, them not getting along, him being really cold, to then him being, like, fully in love with her, obsessed with her, like would do anything for her. It just seemed like there was a switch with him that seemed to happen too quickly. You Mm -hmm. know, like I love an obsessed hero. Like, don't get me wrong. Like that level was really great. But the, I, I, I don't know. I think there was something lost with us never knowing what was happening in his head. And I think if we had been able to have like one or two chapters from his point of view, I think it would be very different, but we just Mm -hmm. didn't. And I think that's the that's where first person really falls apart unless you get both point of views. So what was your take on Hardy? 
I liked Hardy too. I mean, like, honestly, I wasn't per- like that. She ended up with Gage. I was like, good. I mean, I think of the two, he is definitely the person that she should be with. And I think would be, a, is, is a, like, ultimately she'll have like a good relationship with him. But I, I really liked Hardy too. And I thought the way that he treated her when they were both young and kind of knowing, like, I don't want to be trapped here and I need to be able to have the freedom to go where I need to go by myself. So I don't even want to start anything with you. Like I, I did like that. And then when he came back, you know, I guess the, the corporate espionage (laughs) was like not cool, but also like, I'm fine. Like I'm all for people stealing from wealthy people. And like anytime that you can steal from a wealthy person, like I'm on your side. But here's Um, the problem. Hardy is wealthy, too. I know. Hardy is wealthy, but at least he started out poor. And so I I don't know. It doesn't matter. That does not. See, that's the thing. And not to like, that's what frustrated me about this Uh is that I unequivocally think she made the right decision. I don't even think it was a decision because Uh I actually think Hardy is a bigger scumbag because he hides behind the fact that why well, came from nothing so therefore I can stomp on anybody's face I want to forever for the rest of my life in pursuit of wealth. Oh, okay. And that to me is just as disgusting as somebody who is born into wealth and hoards it. Mhm. Because when when Hardy comes back, I was like, "Oh shit, Hardy's back." And then he was some rich oil tycoon asshole, and he pulls that shit with blowing up the uh, blowing like saying that Carrington is Churchill's daughter, which is not true. And then the whole espionage thing, like taking something that Liberty said to him in confidence and using it for business, and then when she calls him out on it, he says. Well, that's business, so it so that's different. But you can trust me as a person. It's like I'm I'm so sick of business being an excuse for people to be assholes. Mm-hmm. And 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 I thought what they did great in this book, what Lisa did great in this book, is to show that her I, idealized version of Hardy never existed. Mm-hmm. He was always angling for something. He was always a guy who was trying to do something else. And he left her because he wanted to be something bigger. And then he ran into her again and was like, oh, okay, like I'm now I'm at a place where I can, you know, take care of her and stuff. And that'll be great. I can have this and I can have that. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's not the way it goes, pal. Like you left her. She had a life. She had a lot of bad sex. And she idolized you. And then when she kissed you again, it came back. But then it started to fade. Like, she realized that. And listen, Gage, I don't think, is any catch either. But the decision she had between the two of them, no contest. Unequivocally, she made the right choice. I don't even think there's a decision to be made here. You're right. No, you're right. Yeah. And I think Gage also does say that to her at a certain stage where he's like, listen, he's going to do whatever he has to do to get ahead. And if that's like, get like, treat you poorly or leave you like, that'll be what it is. Like he's going to have four or five wives. Now, Hardy is the hero in the next book, which is why I want to read it to see like kind of how he gets redeemed or who his love interest ends up being. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't, uh, there wasn't a point where I 
really felt like she was going to leave Gage. Because also, like, Gage makes her promise to not sleep with Hardy. Um, which I don't think was a fair thing to ask, but she honored it. And I think also once she was going to honor it, then I was like, oh, you're picking Gage. Like, you just need to, like, make sure this deal, this other door is, like, completely sealed shut. But you're going with Gage. Which yeah, I agree. She just had to, she, yeah. she had to do her due diligence, which I think is... I do agree. To, Gage saying that was shitty. Yeah. Because if he had confidence in what they had, he should have said, I trust you to make the decision you want to make. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I mean, that's not a great thing to say. But, like, listen, do what you need to do. Right. And if she needs to have sex with Hardy, then she does. I but was I, shocked, I think, yeah. Oh, you say. That they didn't have sex? No, I was shocked that she immediately started making out with Hardy when she saw him again at the charity thing, auction. I, I, did I not, think that... W- I think she was just that shocked. Was, yeah, and that was Hardy just taking something. Yeah. And that was also to show that, you know, he's a he's kind of a ruthless guy. He doesn't care. He, he'll take what he wants, like you said. But also just to show we had to see that she did something so out of character mm-hmm. that only Hardy could bring out in her to make mm-hmm. him a viable candidate for her to leave Gage for. Yeah. But I also agree, like, I I don't think I I, it's sad to say I don't think either of them are are great. The great love for liberty. I I wish she could uh, end up with somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I think like her and Gage will be happy and they'll be together for whatever, forever. But I think like, yeah, I wasn't head over heels for Gage the way that I am like fully obsessed with like quite a few of Clay Pass's heroes. (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. so neither were it for me. But also, yeah, I don't know how much of that is, like, never being in their point of view, only kind of seeing their actions through Liberty's eyes, like, how much that changes things. Like, I think that's why I just, like, really can't stand first person. I find it annoying. And I don't find, like, I ever get the level of insight that I'm looking for. Because you want what you want from both of the men is them loving Liberty so much that in their mind they're scrambling Mm -hmm. to find a way to keep her and they make a bad choice. And -hmm. you can understand it because they're thinking that, oh, maybe this will work and I'm so desperate in this. But when they're just doing things without, like you said, the thought process, it it, it does make you question their intentions. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you only sort of see the result and you don't see, like, the thought process before, like you said. So it's like, and I think with romance, so much of it is about, like, internal feelings and things like that. So I think when you only get one person, you're losing half. So third person or bust. I mean, it's very rare, I think, that there's a... I And I did really like this book, too, so don't get me wrong, but... I'm oh not yeah. Ever when I see that a book is in first person, I'm never excited about it. I totally agree. Yeah. I agree completely. Still like the book a lot, but wanted to get in their heads a little bit. Mm-hmm. And also because like Clay Pass is so good at that, you know. Yes. Like most of her, every other book I've read from her has been in third person, and they're all amazing. So it's like, why? I don't get the, and it feels like so. Like contemporaries are almost always in the first person, and. 
why somebody smarter than us needs to tell us why like i just don't get it i think in this case i think lisa really loved liberty and really was so invested in her life Mm -hmm. and her struggles and i think that was the predominant thing that she wanted to write and you can tell here's the big question though would you fuck them All three of them, yes. I would fuck Liberty. I would fuck Hardy. I would not fuck Gage. Wow. Okay. Why? Even though I know she chose him and I don't like Hardy, there's something about Hardy. I get it. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. When he shows up in that hat and that white t-shirt and those jeans, fuck it. And boots, who gives a shit? Taking them riding, mm-hmm. sure thing, hard, I don't no problem. Gi- I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Everything I said goes out the window. <laughs> For some, like, well-fitting jeans, a t-shirt, and a cowboy hat. Oh, come on, come on. <laughs> You're only human. Yeah, he could spit in my face, I don't care. <laughs> and though that's better, yeah, I... No, I'm into all three of them. I think they all sounded hot. I think I would, I'd be into it. Yeah. Oh, I did love when, like, they're making out in the limo, Gage and Liberty, after their first date, that, like, everyone has basically forced them on by pretending it was a giant family meal, and then one by one, everybody says they can't go. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they're walking up to her room, and she's like, ah, how am I going to tell them that I'm just, like, very bad at sex? <laughs> I know. Poor Liberty. I know. But it's like, you've been dating, like, awful dudes. Not awful dudes. Like, they seem like they were perfectly fine. But, like, guys who are not good at six. The 6'8". I never heard that before, the 68. But that's amazing. That is so funny. Um, I know a few 68s. <laughs> name them. And don't say my name. <laughs> God, I don't want to know that about you, Clay. Never. But, like, uh, you, you know them. We'll talk about it later. Yeah. Um, all right, should we do the threes list? Yes, let's do it. Best ever contemporary romance books. I mean, it's one of the better contemporaries we've read, that's for sure. A hundred percent. Best romance books ever. I don't know. I I can't say that. I don't think it's enough romance for me. No. I've loved you for years. I guess, but not the main couple. Yeah. Yeah. Really not. Unexpected pregnancies and single moms. Okay, so the unexpected pregnancy is, I guess, referring to the one at the very end, the epilogue. Or well, that's not is unexpected. it unexpected? I mean, I think they're like if they're not married, they're about to be married. But I think the uh, single mom. It's is, his liberty, liberty's yeah. mom. Yeah. Well, and Liberty is a single mother, like single guardian. Yeah. Uh, Love- yeah, but still, uh, it, that's kind of like if it's on this list, they're gonna be like. What's going on here? Because mm-hmm. because her mom isn't the romantic center of this book, so her having an unexpected pregnancy and being a single mom, and I know what you mean. Liberty is also technically kind of a single mom, but it's too confusing to be on this list. So take it off the list, please. Um, love hate relationships. I mean, Gage is a asshole to her for a few pages, and then that's it. Yeah. Odd couples opposites attract in romance novels. 
I don't, again, like for me, odd couples, they have to be like truly at odds in the sense of really some definitive, I think this and you think this, or mm-hmm. I am this and you are this. I did, I wouldn't say this is an odd couple relationship. Okay. What do you think? I you disagree. Agree. I don't, I, no, I don't think that Liberty and Gage are like that different from each other to call it an odd couple. So no. Um, yeah. Controlling, sexy, possessive men. Gage. I would say Gage, yeah. I mean, he has someone follow her mm-hmm. when she's hanging out with... Um, God, why, I'm always Hardy. blanking on his... Hardy. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, yeah, she has someone... He has someone follow her when he's she's hanging out with Hardy. So that is possessive. My dream leading men. Yeah. I mean, if it's yours. Yeah. Best book boyfriends. Gotta say no. Nope. Children and romance. There is a child. There is a child, yes. Wrong side of the tracks. Yes. Okay. Best alpha gamma hero. Uh, Gamma. I mean, we're talking talking that Hardy is alpha engages gamma. I don't think so. I think it's just like either alpha or gamma. I don't understand what that means. I mean, like Hardy is, I mean, uh, Gage is definitely like a contemporary alpha for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, heroin with backbone in romance book. Yeah. I mean, but I wouldn't say she had, I don't know. I wouldn't say she like had a huge backbone. Well, no, I think she stood up to him to Gage and Churchill. And I think she always like really advocated for herself and for her sister and stuff. So I think, I mean, I would definitely say she would. She does do the thing that I hate in romance novels where a, a poor woman is dating a wealthy guy and he's like, let me spend money on you. And she's like, no, I couldn't accept that because mm-hmm. I'm just so pure and, and don't want material things. And it's like, why not? It doesn't mean anything to him. You're not bankrupting him by buying some stuff. So he has like a Gulf stream. So it's like, yeah, just be like, yeah, sure. I like nice clothes. I feel like that's a trope that happens a lot in romance novels that I get really annoyed by. Like just once I would like a heroine to be like, fuck yeah, let's go shopping. I'm a bankrupt your ass. <laughs> I'm going to bankrupt your ass, but like you're offering me a credit <laughs> card. Like I feel like it's always like, here, take my credit card and find a dress. And they're like, I found something simple on the sale rack. And I was like, all right, I know. Name. Like there's so much morality wrapped up in money, mm-hmm. but it's just we weird can't thing even get like, into it. Yeah, we're supposed to be excited about her dating this person because he has money, but she can't ever see money as part of the equation in a way that yeah. it's like uh, we do live in a capitalist society, like for better or worse, mostly for worse. But like the idea that somebody would be able to provide for you is a positive thing or the idea that somebody who has like a ton of money would like is not like that person spending thousands of dollars on you is not the same as like you spending thousands of dollars on them because it it means different things to each other so anyway if anyone has a book where the heroine is like just goes on like an absolute demonic shopping spree like i want (laughs) to read it (laughs) um books that made you cry i cried i cry a lot though but i cried when did you cry when mama died. Okay. 
oh, that passage where she's like, I remember the last time I saw her and she just left and I said, whatever. And then that was, and I never saw, oh uh, yeah, I hundred percent cried. You know what? That's funny because I think that's, uh, you know, it's not that I wouldn't obviously be devastated if, if that, if something happened to my mom in that way. But I think I, I'm similar. If it would have been like a dad situation, I would have been inconsolable. I think there's like a yeah. dad son thing and a mother daughter thing, you know? Yeah, totally. And they had such an actual relationship and such a, uh, and it felt yes. so real in that they like really loved each other and really cared about each other, but were at odds sometimes. And you could always feel that her mother was always doing her best, even when doing your best is falling short or not maybe doing the right thing, but you don't know because you're kind of on your own and like, yeah, and just the whole relationship felt really real. So then when she did die, it, it, that felt really real too. Yeah. It was shocking. It, it yeah. did shock me. Um, starchy hero gets unstarched. I think that's, I guess, are we talking ga- gauge here? Yeah. I guess a little. Um, the best of Lisa Kleypas. I would say a different side of Lisa Kleypas. Right. I don't, if you were like, give me your top 10 Kleypas books, I don't know that this would be on the list, but also like this book is such a flex that it's like, do you want to see some, an author really stretch and pull it off? Here you this go. is a, I think we read this book at the perfect time because mm-hmm. we've read enough Lisa to trust her. Mm-hmm. And I mean, once you read, I, listen, as soon as I read the first page of Dreaming of You, I trusted Lisa. Mm-hmm. It does not take much. But I do think I still needed to read a bunch of her stuff to get to the point where I would read this book and give it a chance. Right. And you are historically um, and well-known for hating contemporaries as well. So the idea that you would be interested in a contemporary. Because, guys, I do send him books sometimes and he goes, no, I refuse. Listen, you're really – that's – I – do you think I hate contemporaries more than you do? Yes. All right, then. (laughs) I I mean, I would – I hate is such a strong word. I would say – I strongly prefer historicals mm-hmm. and contemporaries are for the most part frustrating to me. Yes. I think it's the, the likelihood of a contemporary going off the rails or just being incredibly mind numbingly boring. There's a higher probability of that happening than that happening with historicals. Because uh, you know what? Because we, I think personally, I don't want to speak for both of us, but I just am more immersed in that world and that set of rules mm-hmm. than the contemporaries where it just does feel like there's, it's so wide open. It's so wide open that you can do whatever you want, that people just lose the plot so much. Yes. Yeah. And there, I've definitely... Uh, DNF'd more contemporary romances than historicals. Like, in a historical, even one that is, like, not my favorite, I'll keep going, because normally there's something that's engaging, at least, and I'm moving forward, and I think there's so many contemporaries that I'm just like, what am I even doing here? What are they doing? What's happening? Because I think, you know, something we've talked about a lot is, like, the stakes are really hard to set up in a contemporary. And now... Mm -hmm. Like we said before, if you're Naima Simone, if you are Kennedy Ryan, if you are Kate Claiborne, 
you don't have these issues because you are a brilliant writer and you in you know you figure out a way to do it but i think a lot of people do struggle with it in a way that i think historicals have built in stakes by just sort of like society and what was going on at the time that they aren't as hard to do and i think the thing with me is that i read romance exclusively for this podcast because mm-hmm. i am monogamous I feel like it'd be cheating if I did if I read something that I did not then share with our audience. Right. Because they are here. I mean, you know, they're here for both of us. They're here because we I think we have a good rapport with each other. It's fun for us to talk to each other. So hopefully that translates to the listening experience. But I think a lot of this, too, is seeing someone like me who's a virgin having their coming out party in real time and documented. So mm-hmm. if I read something that wasn't talked about, it would feel like, well, what am I, what is he doing? So mm-hmm. I think when we choose to do a contemporary, we can't, I can't DNF it. I have to finish it. Mm-hmm. And that makes me so angry, especially <laughs> when it's a book that I am just so thoroughly bored by mm-hmm. or detest. So I think there is a level of difficulty to find a contemporary that I will want to complete and then also talk about in a way that is fair handed. Right. That that's why I think it's hard. But I think if we choose even the worst historical, I can find something to like in because, you know, listen, put them in dresses and I'm there when it comes to books, when it comes to anything else, I'm not there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Don't make me watch a movie where they have the dresses on. I won't do it. <laughs> but give me a book and I'll read it. Yeah. Oh, and I'll, did you see Bridgerton season two was announced? It's coming out at the end of March. Uh, uh, no comment. <laughs> Listen, I mean, we we're doing to. it. We're yeah, going to have to do it. We got to. Um, uh, Let me just say, I'm looking forward to season three and I'll leave it at that. I think we all are. I think we're all just white knuckling it to season three. Nicola Coughlin, I think she's going to kill it. Um, all right. Romances written in first person. We've been over this. Yep. Poor, struggling, abandoned heroine romance. She's poor and she's struggling. I, I don't think she's abandoned. No, I mean, I mean, the fact that Hardy left, she was hardly abandoned. No. She he, had he, she had a support system. Totally. And then finally, Chicklet Hall of Fame reading list. I would say Chicklet, if we're just talking Chicklet, this should definitely be on the list. Now, this, I'm looking at the Goodreads list that uh-huh. you typed out. This is all in caps. Yes. So this was all in caps on Goodreads, right? I just do a cut and paste job, babe. That's what I do. So, yep. So, so what I would say to this list maker... Don't yell at me. (laughs) You don't need to capitalize this whole thing. It makes you seem psychotic. (laughs) But I would agree, yes, that this is, for me, having not read a lot of Chiclet, in the Hall of Fame. Yes, 100%. I've been having an issue because I have very long nails right now. I'm just seeing how long I can grow them, basically. And Uh I keep accidentally turning on caps lock at work when I'm like slacking with somebody. So I'll just like ask a very simple question. 
<laughs> It'll come out. But all you're fast. screaming. I know. And I'm just like, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean that. I did it. This. It actually doesn't matter. Don't even bother answering. Um, it does make you seem so unhinged. It really does. Um, all right, Clayton. What are your tropes? So, I would say, I mean, women's fiction, because that's what this feels most like. Love triangle. Uh, wrong side of the tracks. Poor heroine, rich hero. Although, you know, it is poor, poor, and then it's rich, poor, and then it's middle class, rich. <laughs> There's like a lot going on here. I, I, I would say found family because she definitely found different forms of family. Mm-hmm. And I would say I would say steamy sex because yes. she does have pretty steamy sex with Gage, even oh, though yeah. I wouldn't have sex with him. She seems to really enjoy it. Oh, yeah. The sex was very good. I mean, the sex was very bad, and then the sex was very good. I loved I loved that she had bad sex. Not for yeah. her. Well, no, actually, I like that for her because mm-hmm. that's – you've got to have – you've got to have some bad sex in your life. And to know what the good is. Uh, right? I mean, as long as it's not abusive, obviously, like, I'm not saying anything like that. You know what I mean? But just, like, a guy who – tries but maybe is bad oh <laughs> also i like that like her losing her virginity was just kind of something that happened and it wasn't that big of a deal in the way that i think a lot of romance fetishizes virginity so i liked that yes too. Um, yeah and it was pretty much the way that losing your virginity is where it's like it's not the worst thing it's just kind of not that great because chances are you're fucking somebody who's also pretty young and there's no way I mean, I think Sarah and Jen over at Faded Mates talk about this, but, like, why college-age, like, new adult romance always is hard is because, like, the idea of a man in his early 20s being good at sex is a bigger fantasy than a blue alien with horns. It's so true. It's so true because they're so – they so need to be great at everything, and Mm -hmm. they're not. And they're just – their brains are Swiss cheese from porno. Yeah, and they just don't listen. They don't pay attention. Like, the yeah, the idea that a, a, a 22-year-old man in college would be even decent at sex is a, is a fantasy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is not going to yeah. happen. And, like, you know, we'll, they'll get there, and you know, in time and everything. But, like, yeah, it's not, no, not going to be the best sex of your life at 22. Um, so, Aaron, what yeah. are your tropes? So I have chiclet with romance, love triangles, Texas romance. This is a very Texas-centric story. I learned more about Houston than I think I ever wanted to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> found family, uh, sugar daddies, because this is the name of the book, and there's examples of that. Sick bed romance, because sort of the when they first fall in love is Gage uh, being sick and uh, Liberty coming over and making him chicken and dumpling soup which i wanted some um yes yes that southern cooking i was like please clog my arteries with that (laughs) taking care of sibling first love because it kind of definitely explores her relationship with hardy rich hero poor heroine because even like even though she's middle class she's make we know she's making fifty thousand dollars a year and not having to pay for room board or health insurance which is like pretty much that's how what most people spend most of their paychecks on um, is Gage is still more wealthy than she will ever be able to get to. Um, True. 
single bomb heroin, even though she's not technically, she didn't give birth to her, you know, still, I think she sees her as her daughter. Enemies to lovers, mm-hmm. Gage and Liberty don't get along at the beginning. And then contemporary alpha male, who is Gage? Great. That's that. And so uh, finally, Clayton, what has you swooning this week? Well, I'm swooning about a show that I just started watching. And I think if if anybody is listening to this, this uh, podcast, they know that I'm a fan of of UK panel shows. Mm-hmm. You, I think, also are a fan of those, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I started watching one called Eight Out of Ten Cats Does Countdown, <laughs> which is completely confusing at first. I was like, what is this show? But there's a show called Eight Out of Ten Cats, which is a panel show where they talk about new stories and statistics and stuff but then there's a uh, a a game show called countdown that has been around for decades i think at this point and what it is is that jimmy carr is the host of this version and he's got comedians playing the game instead of regular people mm-hmm. and it has a lot to do with you know they pick num the numbers randomly and then they have to get a some out of them and then there's a world word jumble situation it's always really fun it's fun to play along to and i started watching these episodes obsessively on youtube because they're not available on any streaming service that i can get in this country yeah i would pay top dollar for a streaming service that is only english panel shows yes me too if we could get channel four over here that would really change things. I think I would pay up to $30 a month for Channel 4. I would too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's like BritBox, but it doesn't have all that stuff. Like I want all of, I want pretty much all panel shows. That's what I want. Yeah. Like a game show network, but for panel shows, I would, I, I mean, maybe I don't want that because I would get absolutely zero done. No, yeah. RIP or productivity and ever leaving the house. But. I want and I want these shows and I know they try to do it in America. They just can't because American com- comics are so shitty. Yeah. They're so they're so shitty. You know, it's like I, I mean, I could I could think of a few comedians working today that I'd be like, they would be great on a panel show. All the rest of them can go take a go kick rocks. Do you remember but, Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn? I love Tough Crowd. Ugh, we need to bring back Tough Crowd. That was a great well, show. And that was like, it wasn't a panel show and like there wasn't a game element to it. It was just people talking. But like, just bring back that. Well, but here's the thing. Uh, All those guys now would be talking about cancel culture the whole time. I can't. I can't. I don't care. Cancel, cancel and culture. And what they can't cancel, say. Cancel, cancel culture discourse i can't yeah i don't give a flying fuck um, that's why we need and i tried to watch the new match game and you know the one that alec baldwin was the host of and it was yeah. fine but like american celebrities are just there's just something about them they don't have that th- britishness that that sense of humor that and i know there's a lot of you know it's listen 
we have a lot of uh, uh, listeners from across the pond, and they're probably like, I'm sick of seeing all these comics. They're the same comics all the time. They never put anybody new up there, whatever. But it's like, to me, give me as much James Acaster as you can give me. <laughs> you know, I love Rod Gilbert. Give me more Rod Gilbert. Like, that. just for me, I don't get to see these guys all the time. So I want to see them. Yeah. I also love Graham Norton. We don't have any equivalent to Graham Norton. You know who tries to be Graham Norton is Andy Cohen. It, he gets there the closest. I was scared you were going to say James Corden for a second, who I can't stand the sight of. But no. Yeah, I think Andy Cohen, Watch What Happens Live, is the closest to that. But it's not. But yeah. I I only like Andy Cohen now because he blasted de Blasio on New Year's. That was so relatable. What a relatable king. I loved that. Um, anyone who hates de Blasio, I'm a fan of. Anyone who hates our current mayor, I'm also a fan of. Our current mayor also sucks. Yeah. I. Oh, wow. Okay, so people are... I'm going to cut this out because people are going to hate us because it's so New York-centric, but, like, I'm worried. Yeah. I'm, like, truly worried because this guy's a numbskull. Uh-huh. But there was no good option. There was like zero options. There was Maya Wiley. That's who I voted for. I thought she was an option. You know what I'm going to say? Bloomberg, come back. I get no. I, I no, I Bloomberg. don't think so. No, he, no. He, I mean, like, I listen, Bloomberg. of the of the most recent 10 mayors, like, sure. And, and you're like, it, you need to pick a mayor from these bozos. Fine. I probably am ultimately going to pick Bloomberg. But like. Not great. Not great. I there's yeah, but this guy this guy sucks. I hate him. I'm on 16% battery, so we need to get this rolling. Mm-hmm. Um great. But leave it in. I mean, listen, I want people to <laughs> It's a time-honored tradition to absolutely despise the mayor of New York City, so Well, everybody listen half the people who listen to this don't care about New York City anyway. So they always think that every mayor is a piece of shit. And you know what? They're right. They're right. They're right. Um, it's a horrible place to live, but I love it. <laughs> and also, people stop moving here. We're good. We're full. We're full up. Okay. So, Aaron, what are you swooning about that's not the new mayor of New York City? Would never be. Never catch me. Um, so, I am swooning. And I think I might have swooned about this before, but guys, just deal with it. But it's called, uh, it's a candle company called Rowan Candles. They're based in Los Angeles. They're amazing. Their candles are slightly on the pricey side as they are like $29 to $32 for seven to eight ounces. So these are a, like, you know, a luxury pick. This is like, do you really want to something special? These candles are amazing. All of the scents are my favorite scent. Um, but in particular, one called 29 Palms, which 29 Palms is a city uh, near Joshua Tree. And... It smells like the desert. It's like sage. And it's just like the perfect like bedroom smell because it's like just a hint of sweetness, but not overpoweringly like sickly sweet. Um, but you get that sage and it's a little earthy and it feels like grounded. So it's a scent I love. I also there's one called uh, Marmont, which is based uh, the, on the scent of the Chateau Marmont. So it's like jasmine. Um, night blooming jasmine. It's it's a really gorgeous scent. The Chateau Marmont is a place in a hotel that I'm obsessed with. I think I've probably swooned already about the Castle on Sunset, but it, it's that's also an, a fantastic book. 
Um, but in general, you can't go wrong with any Rowan candles, R-O-E-N candles. Um, if you're looking to up your candle game, I would say check them out. They're really lovely. The people who run, uh, who own the company are also very, very lovely people. So um, I am swooning about Rowan candles. And also I have a candle closet and last, and I used up the last of the old candle I was using. And so then I went to my candle closet to sort of rummage around and find my next scent. And I found two Rowan candles that I had forgotten I purchased. So today, yesterday was the best day of my life, maybe. Is the Chateau Marmont one the one that smells like the urinal cake I like? Yeah. Okay. We don't even focus on that aspect of it. I. It's a great smell in urinal cake. I really <laughs> wish the listeners could smell it. That's a different, like, that's the Chateau Marmont official candle. So for the Rowan candle, it's just named Marmont. Um, but then okay. the Chateau Marmont official candle. I got that accidentally because I ordered a sweatshirt for them that they didn't send for two months. And then I send them an email and say, hey, guys, can I have my sweatshirt, please? And they also sent me uh, a candle to say, I'm sorry, which is, if you ever want to apologize to me, sending me a $60 candle will do the trick. Um, And so I've never lit it. But then Clayton was sitting next to it on my couch and told me it smelled like a urinal cake. Tough to hear, but, you know. It's it's such a it's my favorite urinal cake. It's not it doesn't (laughs) taste like it it, tastes. Taste? It doesn't smell. Uh, yeah, I gave it a lick when you were out Ugh. of the room. Uh, I did not do that. Uh, it's not. It's not like. It's not like your mom's urinal cake. You know, your grandpap's urinal cake. It's. It's a. It's a. It's a. It's a very good urinal cake smell without the urine. It doesn't smell at all like urine. Yeah. Anyway, I will say though that Erin has her candle game on lock. Mm-hmm. I you know I'm over the apartment a decent amount. Always smells great. Always different. Uh, like a myriad of smells when you walk through different rooms, all lovely, all very homey. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. My computer is so, fully about to die. So let's run through how to find us. And, yeah. then I, and then I gots to go. Great. Where can they find us, Erin? So you can email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at learningthetropes. We are on Twitter at learningtropes. You can join us on Patreon if you just go to patreon.com and search Learning the Tropes. That's where you'll find us. We also have our Learning the Tropes troop, um, which is uh, just a place for people to gather. And it's how we ended up reading this book. So if you want to join, you can just search us over on Facebook. Um, And that is that. And thanks, everybody. And we will We'll see you next week. And until then, happy reading. Happy reading.